0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hi, welcome to Leechfest, a medical history podcast with a surprising lack of leeches. But we might, we might encounter one today. Because today we're talking about medieval medicine and magic.
0: Mm, we're talking about witches, something that I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, I have um, I have a little bit of a soft spot for for witchcraft mm-hmm. history and the like. So this is actually really exciting to me. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great.
1: I have uh, an interest in maybe the the historical opposite of witchcraft, which is like the clergy of the time. Mm. The main opponents, perhaps, of of witchcraft. So today's going to be um, an interesting episode, I think. Mm -hmm. Because we we both have an interest in the subject, and it's also like a very interesting period of of medicine. But before we go into anything else, I'm Ian Mulder.
0: And I'm Raluca Muntano.
1: And how are you today?
0: (laughs) I'm great. It's a beautiful day uh, here in Stockholm. Spring is here. We just had Easter um, here in Sweden.
1: That's time of recording, yeah, we're recording, like, right yeah, after Easter. Yeah. A very magical time of year, obviously. I know,
0: it's kind of it's kind of interesting we're doing this episode about, like, witchcraft mm-hmm. and witches and rituals and superstitions right after Easter. Mm-hmm. Easter is fun. I don't celebrate it right now, necessarily. I, I don't really do anything that's um to, to celebrate, like, Christian holidays, but mm-hmm. I, I grew up Orthodox because I'm from Eastern Europe, so... Uh, they used to do They used to do so much stuff about Easter when I What's, was growing up. What do
1: up. Orthodox people do about Easter? Because uh, I mean, we just eat eggs.
0: Yeah. I mean, they go to church a lot. Priests uh, spray people and, like, the food with, like, holy water. Um, but there's, like...
1: When you say spray, I'm imagining, like, a spray bottle. <laughs> like the watering plants <laughs> no, 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 with they, holy water.
0: <laughs> no, what they do is they dip uh, plants in holy water. And they basically, like, um, just shake the plants over the, the people attending the service. So they spray them with plants, um, but yeah, like there's special Easter services there's special food that you eat what is, what is the special food
1: because we Swedes eat this, the exact same thing for every single holiday and it's rotten fish <laughs> and ham well, with an addition of eggs for yeah, Easter and that's literally it
0: yeah, in Eastern Europe, people always have lamb for Ooh. for Easter and rabbit, and actually there's a there's a cool, f- cool fact, cool fact about Eastern Europe. So we have these like meat markets, right? Mm-hmm. And you like when you go in around Easter, you're gonna see people like selling lamps. But the feet, or no, 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 it's it's rabbit that they do this with. I think, um, like the feet are always still furry. Because apparently a lot of people will skin and sell cats and say mm, that they're rabbits
1: that's horrifying,
0: yeah, so like they keep the feet intact so that you can check the feet and see like
1: double check they're yeah. not
0: cat, which is like really scary <laughs> um but in like kind of gro- I don't know it's kind of gross My i don't God. I don't eat meat now, so it, I don't deal with that, but like
1: because of the potential of potentially eating a cat,
0: n- no, but it it is definitely horrifying. <laughs> but anyway easter yeah easter. it's easter. easter it's easter how how are you how i'm is, good how was your easter did you do anything
1: i didn't do anything i've been working as mm-hmm. i always do mm-hmm. yeah i always work too much i mean to this be... is the complaining hour
0: To be the fair... next two hours
1: okay. of this podcast is me complaining
0: to be fair <laughs> no. to be fair there isn't like that much to do like no. i kind of i kind of think about like you know before we record i'm always like i should think of something fun to share but like you don't really do much. Like there's nothing yeah. to do. It's a pandemic. Like, it's a pandemic. There's nothing we're to all do. indoors. We're all, we're, we're, all we're all watching Netflix over yeah.
1: and over again. Plus, like you know, I don't you know I don't have kids, so I don't really have like a high motivation to like go around and hide eggs. Like who am I going to hide eggs for? Like my roommates.
0: I mean, yeah, but you could have like you know a lot of people have like an Easter lunch with friends and things like that.
1: Yes, but like again, every every place is like closed or no. at capacity because of you know. The pandemic.
0: Before we go into the episode, and I can already tell this is going to be a really good one. Mm-hmm. We have a patron to thank. And their name is Stansky. Stansky. Thank you, Stansky, for being our patron. It really, it means a lot. Like, we've said it, we, we say it every time. I mean, I think it's 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 obvious. It means a lot. It helps us keep this train going. Mm-hmm. Um, keep the podcast running. Keep the, keep the podcast running. hosting
1: going. Uh, it, makes it, it makes it worth it, not just in an emotional sense, but also financially, because, you know, it takes time. And it, it's not free to do a podcast. So thank you very much, because you allow us to do this. And it's thanks to people like Stansky and all of our patrons that you, dear listener, get to listen to the podcast.
0: Let's uh, Let's get into it. So because this episode is about medieval medicine, we have to start with a short discussion about illness and how illness was viewed in uh, medieval times. Mm. So in the early Middle Ages in Europe, um, the existence of illnesses was often attributed to supernatural causes like astral influences and sin. Treatment of both physical and mental illness was therefore directed at the soul as well as the body and the mind prayer charms incantations and invocations were all used for healing so during the dark ages of europe that is between like the 4th century and the 11th century mm-hmm. it was mainly clerical institutions right like the church mm. that conducted intellectual activities and like almost held a monopoly over the medical profession
1: yeah like there there wasn't like a big vast institution like there's no world health organization in mm-hmm. the dark mm-hmm. in, the, in the dark ages but there is the church mm. Uh, that have a sort of like canon uh, of of what medicine is, mm. and they're also the people who are most likely to be able to read. And they are the people who have books more than any other type of uh, like class in society at the time. so they are they are the people with the advanced techniques for medicine,
0: yeah, exactly. So it was um it was the convents and the monasteries that served as clinics, and it was like monks and nuns. That provided health services. However, in addition to monks and nuns who were um, offering healthcare services, there were also other people who were not affiliated with the church who did the same thing. And that was um, healers, wise women, and sometimes like male physicians, but who didn't have any formal training. Mm. On the other hand, in the second half, the medieval period and that's like the 12th to 16th century medieval medicine became a formal body of theoretical knowledge and was institutionalized mm. in universities
1: yeah and i'm gonna talk about a little bit of how that happened mm-hmm. like the transition between we know nothing to we know something
0: <laughs> we still get it wrong but we know a little bit we
1: got it better at by the end
0: by the end yeah
1: took It took six hundred years, but eventually we started figuring it figuring it out.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you're right. Like at this point, they sort of start attributing illnesses and disease like less so to supernatural phenomena Mm. and more to like natural causes. They don't necessarily get it right, so (laughs) they get better, but not right. Yeah, exactly. So here's where um, ideas based on work of like. Hippocrates and Galen start taking hold, and furies is about the human body as related to the four elements. The earth, fire, air, and water, as well as the four bodily humors, mm-hmm. um, the blood, the flag, and the yellow bile, and the black bile. It was believed that health could be maintained or restored by balancing the humors, and also by regulating air, diet, exercise, sleep. Evacuation and emotion.
1: Evacuation. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's the word I found. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I thought it was. I
1: think that is the clinical, like, mm-hmm. clean term for. Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine.
0: But yeah, so so you know they they strongly believed in the relationship between health and like humors, um, and but they also they also kind of knew that like your diet, how much you sleep, like whether you exercise, um, and emotion even plays a role mm-hmm. as well. They did also believe, even at this time, that the movements of the stars influenced things going on Earth, Um, like, you know, the weather, to the growth of crops, to personalities, to the inner workings of the human body. Mm. Ancient studies of astrologies were translated from Arabic to Latin in the 12th and 13th centuries, and soon became part of everyday medical practice in Europe. Mm. Did you know that actually, by the end of the 16th century, physicians across Europe were required by law to calculate the position of the moon before carrying out complicated medical procedures.
1: I'm not surprised. Like, uh, you know, the moon has an effect on many things on Earth. I can, I can definitely see how a lot of people are like, well, if it affects the tides, mm. we are but tiny compared to the ocean. Of mm-hmm. course it would affect the liquids within us. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Also, thank God for Arabic scholars for translating, like, I ancient know. Greek text. I know. Because eventually we're going to make an episode on, like, Renaissance medicine, or like, Arabian medicine, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. A lot of people really, like, attribute western medicine and western like science to the renaissance which makes sense like at the end of the medieval period like universities and that and but as you mentioned none of that would be possible (laughs) unless we actually had like texts from the arabic world that we could work from Mm. so that's that's the moon (laughs) that's my long rant about the moon and why that makes sense that they did that what what other what other methods did they use theories
0: they obviously had a lot to learn about the human body but they but they did they did have some good ideas like they also recognized that illnesses spread from person to person they knew that certain lifestyles may cause ill health they knew that some people are like more predisposed towards bad health than others so you know they they were they were getting there however and you will actually talk about this a bit more later, I'm just going to say it super shortly, that despite this growing body of theoretical knowledge and the expansion of medicine as a science, medieval Europe still operated within the context of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. So medical institutions were still like very strongly linked to religious orders. And medical professionals continue to rely on divine assistance mm-hmm. for support.
1: A large part of why, like in in the Christian world, medicine is connected to to the church, because that's not the case like everywhere mm-hmm. around the world. Like in a lot of areas of the world, like healing is seen as more of like an academic pursuit. But in in Europe, it's very much seen as like a, a, a clerical, cler- a clerical. A church activity to do, mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that, and I think you'll th- find it very interesting because it is a, there's a there's an idea in Christianity, especially during this time, that like healing is something that is like a very high virtue. Like if you can heal the sick, that's a good thing. God's gonna like that. Good on you. But it is also seen as emulating Jesus Christ because mm-hmm. the, there's an analogy between like Jesus and a doctor. Jesus famously in the Gospels. Uh, you know, healed the sick, performed miracles so like healed diseases and illnesses, and the idea is that like by by performing medicine, by investing yourself in medicine, you can emulate Jesus as mm-hmm. like the ultimate doctor, and that is why healing as a concept is like connected to the Christian faith more than uh, other religions and other cultures in other areas of the world.
0: That's super interesting.
1: Yeah, and that connection takes a long time to sort of like be disconnected.
0: That's really cool. My chunk of this episode is like very witch-based mm-hmm. so i don't know so much about like the christian view. So mm-hmm. i'm really excited to hear to hear about that so like we mentioned healing was done in the context of religious orders and it was mainly done by monks and nuns but it was also done by lay people who acted as healers wise women um nurses and midwives however in the mid-12th century the medical profession started becoming more regulated and standardized. Regulating bodies controlled by universities, religious groups, and government officials began issuing licenses, which could legally allow people to practice medicine.
1: Can I just quickly say, what what did you say? Um, universities, religious groups, and government officials. Yeah. Was that the list? Uh-huh. <laughs> During this time, those are basically <laughs> the same thing. That's like the local priest. Local government local official... People religious order and universities these are all the same guy yeah. that's like father blackburn in the church
0: <laughs> well i mean i guess okay so like i just they wanted were, to like, make yeah, the joke yeah sure they they were they were very strongly linked and they they kind of like operated like they all had the yeah. same motive and like they had the same interests mm. at heart I'm gonna um, go
1: into talking about that yeah, too. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So but you're right. Yeah, like they are just, they're kind of the same person. I just, I just
1: really <laughs> thought it was a good yeah. good moment to crack that crack that idea.
0: But yeah, so so these regulations issued by that one guy, um <laughs> Father Blackburn by yeah. whatever, created this like separation between so called learned physicians, air quotes, and like all the other healers, like the barber surgeons and the empirics who practice with their hands. So At this point, it was no longer enough to successfully heal patients to be able to call yourself a doctor. As a self-trained physician, you could apply potions and cure illnesses, but only a licensed physician could explain the illnesses and cures using concepts, very, very advanced concepts such as a humoral theory, which again was growing in importance at this time. And this led to tension between licensed physicians and self-taught barber surgeons, empirics, and healers.
1: Um, I just want to explain a term for our listeners. Barber surgeons. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, for a long time in human history, the, the occupation of barber and surgeon were, was the was same. Because the they work with similar tools yeah. and like have similar practices. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wanted your leg chopped off or haircut, you go to the same guy. Didn't they
0: also do dentistry? Like, I'm yeah. not... Yeah.
1: Which makes sense because they are the people who deal with like razor blades and scissors yeah. and yeah. knives and stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. And also, just super quickly, in addition to medical licensing, um, another thing that kind of led to medicine becoming a little bit more institutionalized are the crusades that happened in the 11th century. Ooh. Yeah, because suddenly these routes to the Holy Land were just littered by knights and their <laughs> armies, which are all in need of medical assistance. And therefore, like, these early medical institutions were developed for their care.
1: I'm not surprised. All right. So we mentioned the church. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the clergy. Uh, we mentioned how dominant they are in terms of medicine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it's time to me to put on my my, histo- my history tweed, uh, my pipe. Uh, and talk about ye all the reasons as to why this was, how it changed, and you know, how how it looked in practice over time. So we wanted to mention that like they were they were both like dominant in terms of practitioners, and you also mentioned that they are most important in infrastructure. During this time, as you mentioned, illness exists uh because god doesn't like humanity that is that is like a big part of christianity at this time you may not be infected because you specifically have sinned but because humanity is sinful like as as a creature that is why the plague for example exists as 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 it is as you said they also they did understand that illness could spread from person to person some lifestyles were more like likely to get sick and it is a common misunderstanding that the, the and people in the Middle Ages like pinned all of their hopes on God to cure you or that they blamed God for like all of the all of the bad things. Like that that, that is a, like a bit of an oversimplification. Uh, but it did play a, like a big part of their view on medicine. But the concept of health was seen not as the greatest concern here. Because as, as we said, like they, the, a lot of the um, physicians of the time, viewed the existence of diseases as a result of, like, hu- humanity's sinfulness. Which is why a lot of their academic efforts, for most of this time period, didn't actually focus on explaining why why disease exists, or where it comes from, but rather on how to cure it. Mm-hmm. Because they, they viewed it as, like, the role of, of a healer isn't to, to stop disease. Because you can't do that. The idea was that, like, that's impossible. God has put diseases on the earth. Mm-hmm. But once they are here maybe we can figure out a way to like beat it as a a test. Uh, And that will will please God. Which today might sound like completely out there, because obviously like understanding the cause of disease is like the number one way to prevent disease. That was of almost no concern to most of people during this time. A lot of individuals as well, not just uh, people within the clergy, didn't really view their physical health as like the number one priority when it came to interacting with Healers. The goal here was almost always their spiritual health.
0: Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, because their their the soul and the body were so connected in their in their mind. So to have a healthy body, you have to have a healthy soul.
1: And for many, if it came down to a choice, they would choose their their spiritual health Mm. rather than their physical health. Yeah, because they you know the soul is immortal, like the body is a husk. Yeah, yeah. Um there was some there was some discussion like between various monks i've read like some old papers where various monks would argue with each other like how how important is the body when you die is is it is it, is it gone or is, does the soul like have a tether to the body like what what is the nature here don't know why the, that was a huge cause of discourse at the time but apparently it was but this uh, this often led sometimes to like various cures for example or methods to prevent unhealth like, not being practiced. One common example that I found in my research was that like, there was one example of a priest basically saying to a patient or, like, a sick person that they should not follow the advice of, like, the local healer witch basically, Mm -hmm. because the healer witch suggested that the the sick person should, like, eat a lot, like, a a, a a big a a large amount of, like, varied foods but that's a sin. That's gluttony. You're not allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. And the priest rather suggested being like, you don't eat much at all. You should be like as, you should only eat as much as you like barely need uh, to sort of like show your devotion to God or something like that. So, you know, in the middle ages, having a, like a varied large diet is probably something that can be very good for your health. If you, mm. you know, if you have spent your entire life eating like beets. And and so many people would choose to like forego maybe the more healthy option of eating a diverse and rich foods because that could be considered gluttony mm-hmm. and they would malnourish themselves
0: i could also see how how this also led to the conflict between the clergy and the healers which is something mm. i'm gonna talk about later but yeah like you you keep seeing these like little conflicts of opinion where the clergy is like you should take care of your soul first and then healers are like mm, but you're sick though so maybe you should take care of your body yeah <laughs> yeah
1: uh, but we're also here to talk about magic, Yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Um, and you may think that, like, the clergy of this time, 100% against magic as a concept. Magic is bad, no magic. And that's, like, the common view we have now of the Middle Ages, like, when we think about witch burnings and things like that. Yeah. We're very anti-magic. But that's not fully true. In fact, a lot of clergy would use magic as, like, an assisted tool in a lot of their medicine. Either, like, good magic... Or something called natural magic, like neutral magic a little mm-hmm. bit. And we're gonna dig into a little bit what that means later. But the reason why I mentioned this is because a lot of the medical understanding that the clergy used during this time was partially incorporated from like ancient Greek and Roman and Egyptian teachings from like the ancient times that had been that had survived, but also from like local, almost pagan health rituals and beliefs. And in the early Middle Ages, something that Christianity did, like, this, like right before the Crusades and right before inquisitions and heresy searchings, they would go to a local area and basically incorporate local culture. For example, you know, the, the existence of Christmas, the Christmas tree, you know, seen as very like Christian belief, but that's, some, that's an example of, uh, of a pagan tradition being like incorporated into Christian faith. And similar things would happen with local magic and local, you know, medical practices. So, for example, as you mentioned, things like the the humors and astrology incorporate from ancient Greek and Egyptian like healing theory, but also things like herbs, various herbs, uh, local roots, and things of that nature, various potions. We we'll love, potion. we'll love a good potion. We love a good potion. Would be like incorporated from from an area and like oh this could be this could be good magic, for example. But not just like roots and stuff, because that's more like I don't know scientific, more real. Mm-hmm. But things like spells. For example, one spell was that you could drain the blood of of a sick person, but you could only do it I think in the evening and once you had done it, you should spill the blood into running water because the running water will like simulate good healthy blood flow
0: mm, and like um, probably take away the, the 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 bad blood yeah something like I that. feel like witches love using running water as a, oh, no, as, but a as an element a,
1: this is a priest doing this, but then not only should they do that into the running water they should spit the three times Mm -hmm. and recite a prayer to a saint of some kind, which, you know, isn't really something that, like, the clergy invented. Mm -hmm. This is almost guaranteed something that, like, they they saw someone do, Mm -hmm. and then they incorporated it into their magic. And there are a few reasons for that. One is it's easier to sort of, like, convert people to Christianity if you're using their traditions. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, there might be a more modern explanation, a more scientific explanation as to why they would do this. is a sort of placebo effect. Like, if someone's sick, and but you can see, like, the priest, like, doing various spells and giving you potions and yada, yada, yada. That's going to give you a sense of, like, oh, well, you know, he's doing the spells that, you know, the family has been doing for hundreds of years in my area. Yeah. This is a learned man. He drained my blood. Like, I'm going to feel great soon. And that I'm helps. Thinking,
0: yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, too. I, I'm still kind of focused on the healers. And actually, healers were very popular with the local community, mm-hmm. um, they were a lot more popular than um, licensed physicians. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking that, like, maybe one of the reasons why healers and, like, wise women were so popular and, like, people loved to ask them for advice, is because there was such a, like, a tangible element in what they did. Like, they would, you know, they would mix some herbs and they would um, dig a worm up from the soil and, you know uh move like i don't i don't even, i don't know what they did but they did a lot of like things with their hands that you could see so i think that maybe you know the clergy also did some of these because it's just a lot more visible that they're doing something mm-hmm. as opposed to just telling you to like say the prayer five yeah. times
1: Lay in bed, um, have a rest. Like, yeah. that, that doesn't help you. Like, yeah. you're going to tell me to lay in bed and rest? No, do run around for a bit, <laughs> spit a little bit, do a, say, show, do a purr. Show That's going to make me feel show better. Show
0: me some herbs, like, you Show know. me you care about me. <laughs> and,
1: and, and as you say, like, a Do reason, it like you mean it. <laughs> and the reason why the clergy would incorporate this is because they didn't want, like, local healers to have a monopoly on it. Yeah. So they would, like... Oh, yeah. It's, you know, they may not see it as, like like, a divine thing to do. Like, mm-hmm. magic is seen as, like, a bad thing. But they would excuse it with being, like, well, this isn't demonic magic Mm -hmm. like they they would sort magic into into two variants Mm. like there is there is demonic magic that needs like help of demons and imps and satan and these influences to to do its magic but then there's like natural magic good vibes
0: right and like i mean if you have god on your side i mean it's it's pretty obvious like they thought that as long as they had god on their side then anything they did was basically yeah it's gonna be even better better. it was approved by god yeah in in that just
1: got incorporated a prayer to a saint yeah and there there we go there we go god approved (laughs) stamp on another one that i kind of want to mention though like Mm -hmm. which which was definitely appropriated from from like pagan beliefs was having an herb garden, mm-hmm. which had two really interesting effects. Mm-hmm. One, On one hand, like, priests would, like, know about herbs, which obviously is a great help for medicine, because oh, yeah. herbs can help, like, medicinally. But they also believed that just, just, just the existence of the herb garden, just having one, would make the entire area just healthier. Really? Isn't that wholesome? Just, like, hmm. if you keep a good herb garden, you keep it free from weeds, you keep it sorting, you keep like the, the, you keep everything, like, well, well, good... You don't have to do anything with it. You don't actually have to make potions. You, as long as you have the garden, that's going to in- increase the health of the area. I did mention that like most of the medicine of this time that the healers would do was to cure illness. Mm-hmm. Like healing rather than preventing. But when it comes to actually healing, the people, the clergy and the healers, they were actually like pretty pragmatic and empirical like in their research. Like if something didn't work, they didn't do it anymore. Like if something was like this is making people worse or it doesn't work at all, Th- then they stop doing it. Like, then it doesn't make any sense to do it. But if something worked, or if something even seemed to work, or even, like, gave hope, or had any positive effect, then they would probably keep it. Sometimes it's obviously hard to see if something's like, working or not. Like, sometimes you, like, perform a medic, a medicine, you perform a medicine uh, on a sick person, and then they get better. Maybe the doing the medicine didn't have actually any part of it, but, you know, it's- so it's sometimes, obviously, like, a bit of a bit hard to see. So, like, Bleedings and leeches and things like that like sometimes like would have some positive effect and sometimes they would do like nothing so it's it's it it was hard for them to like discern everything like black and white but despite this like a lot of this like empirical curing scientific pursuit was like it was still seen as like being part of like god's plan like god had the final say in whether or not someone would be cured of an illness or not But they also believed that there were many ways to, like, affect God's judgment a little bit. And this varied, like, between monasteries and things like that. But most people believed that, like, if you were very pious and you believed in God very much, that would be good. Many realized that that wouldn't always be enough. Mm. So many reasoned that, like, having a good philosophy, like, having good science, basically, combined with good piety, that's, like, the best medicine. Because then you're getting, like, you're getting the natural science and you're getting God on your side. Like, each of these two elements can help. So they did realize that, like, even heathens and people who don't believe in God at all, they can be healed from illnesses. Even, like, deep sinners can be healed from illnesses. But it would always help to have God on your side.
0: Yeah, remember in the uh, plague episode where we were talking about how having a good constitution and believing in God helped a lot? Helped a lot. But lot. also, like, having a good constitution. Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously, yeah, like, we yeah. see it again and again, that, like, believing in God is seen as, like, a great foundation, and then if you also, like, add natural cures, you know, you maybe see a doctor, maybe they give you, like, that's... Yeah. That's gonna be good too, yeah. but you have to believe in God. You course. have to believe in God,
1: and there are there are a few reasons as to why. Like there is obviously like um, a discussion like in the historical community whether or not that like they fully believed this. Mm-hmm. Uh, some monks, for example, have written that like they don't they don't think God gives any shit. Like God's ha- God has his own plan and is gonna do whatever God wants. Doesn't really matter if if people get sick or not. So I'm just gonna apply the best medicine, but I'm gonna tell people that it's God because that gets people to the church and that gives me money. Mm-hmm. So. There is, so, like, you know, some healers probably fully believed that God was fully controlling, and some like, were a bit like, eh, God doesn't care. But in the end, it didn't really matter, because, like, as long as they connected healing with the church and God and piousness, that supported the church. And because the church already had, like, going into the Middle Ages, like, had a big monopoly on, like, science and knowledge, they wanted to keep that monopoly as much as possible. Which I think is a good entry into my other little segment, because I'm going to talk about infrastructure. <laughs> the sexiest of topics. Hot history. That I know. fucks.
0: Oh my god. I know you're a lot on infrastructure Twitter. I, I know I know yeah. this about you. I love
1: infrastructure Twitter. Train Twitter? Oh, love it.
0: Yeah. I uh I haven't been acquainted. But I do like city builders, so who knows? Maybe I would like it.
1: I think you would love like you would love that. Listen to Well There's Your Problem podcast if you like if you like this podcast. Uh but also more raunchy and about uh, engineering disasters. Shout oh. out to them. I like them. I guessed it once. It was I, fun.
0: Yeah, I know you did. I should check them out, for sure.
1: They're fun. Uh, but I'm going to talk about infrastructure more in the sense of like, the like institution rather than the ideology. Like, I've talked about like why practitioners believe the way they didn't, how they operated within their ideology of christian theology but i'm going to talk about like monasteries and why and why that had more of an effect as well you already mentioned that like a lot of monasteries and like nunneries and things of that nature would be like centers of like learning and medicine and things of that nature And there are a few reasons as to why why that's a thing first of all which i think is kind of funny and peop- and there's a bit of controversy whether or not like this actually mattered or not. Mm-hmm. But people it, in the clergy...
0: <laughs> give me the controversy. Give so, it to
1: me. <laughs> so there's a theory that says that people in... Cl- and obviously, people in clergy during this time aren't allowed to drink alcohol. They're mm-hmm. not allowed to. So many breweries would...
0: Well, wait. Hold on a second. Uh-huh. Didn't they just drink... I mean, I, I thought, as a non-historian, mm-hmm. I thought that they drank very weak beer because water was unsafe to drink. Sometimes. Sometimes.
1: Sometimes they would. I mean, you can get I mean you can go to like a clear well mm-hmm. and get pretty clean water out mm-hmm. of that. Like that's that's actually a bit of a myth. I believe this too for a long time as well, actually. That like Look at that. everyone just drank a little bit of alcohol all the time. And like people drank a lot of alcohol during this time. But if you had like a clean stream, clean river, clean well, like that was that was clean, then you're good. Right. If you throw a goat into the well, then it's gonna be <laughs> bad water, but like then i right,
0: knew that. I'm I'm sorry to like interrupt your your no, it's good. are uh, busting part, myths, but yeah, I love how I feel like every time when we record an episode, there's some sort of little like misunderstanding or like historical myth that comes up, and like we or rather you dispel the myth. I feel like that's really fun. That is fun. You're I'm
1: learning so- a lot, not just about like you're learning all sorts of history today. Yeah. Um,
0: okay, so if you throw the goat in the in the well, it's, it becomes
1: bad it becomes, water. Yeah,
0: but otherwise, water is pretty safe. Sometimes,
1: sometimes. I mean, yeah, weak bear was also like acceptable for mm-hmm. some clergy because yeah. like that wasn't seen as like real alcohol. Mm-hmm. It was just basically seen as just cleaned water. Like alcohol was a bit of a side product. However, many monasteries, most monasteries, clergy aren't allowed to drink alcohol. They're not allowed to get drunk. So many monasteries like fund themselves by making ale and like growing herbs and. Plants that they can brew into alcohol and sell. And there is a theory here that because of this, monasteries became like centers of herbs and knowledge. Obviously, knowledge already existed because they're copying books all the time. They want to have a big archive. That's if you're a monk, that's what you spend the majority of your time in the middle East to do, and you copy books. Mm-hmm. Very boring. And the idea here is that like because they had herbs, they they learn more about herbs. If you're sick, you're gonna go to like the learned people. Whoops! Now you're a med. Now you're a hospital. <laughs> Suddenly, you're a medical center. <laughs> Uh, and you're also like if you if you want to learn something if you want to become a learned person oops you go to the monastery because they have the books so they become this um like this nexus mm-hmm. of both theological center and, and ideological center and pious center and again the theory goes that like all of this is because priests aren't allowed to drink <laughs> i mean they did i should say they did all the time
0: i mean I feel like you know it probably helped that, but but yeah. I'm 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 guessing it's not like the only reason why.
1: No, I mean again, like having the intellectual center helps. Yeah. Uh, as as part of that, but you know, no matter how we went there, they did become these centers of of like of intellectual pursuit and medicine. But there was also another reason why you would take your sick person to like the monastery. Taking
0: your sick person. Taking <laughs> your
1: sick person. You put him on a wagon and you roll them up to the. A to wheelbarrow. The, a wheelbarrow, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So and there's a reason why you would take them to the clergy mm-hmm. rather than for example like your local healer especially if they're really sick cuz they it's a kind of a win-win scenario because if you go there they have the books they're learned uh, they'll take good care highest chance of winning probably of surviving and if they don't make it <laughs> if they die then there's a priest right there who can give them their last rites and then mm-hmm. their soul is saved or you know Yeah, they're,
0: that's they're... that's not a bad deal yeah. I can I can see that that's yeah,
1: a win-win so like no matter how you go there no, no, like no matter how sick you are, if you make it to the monastery, you're good. I mean, sure, your friend might die, but
0: you're they're you're in heaven. Now, you're, so you're assigned good. sick person might die. You're
1: assigned sick person. You're a sick buddy. And this led to like priests becoming like the dominant, like most educated and most like prestigious type of healer that existed. And you may think that this is by design, that like the church, like in Rome, decided like we will control medicine <laughs> lest someone else take it. And Latin phrases, yabba yabba yaba. <laughs> Uh, I'm the Pope, but that's not actually true. Actually, the Church in Rome didn't like this in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, they they basically said that, like, in the Second Council of the Lateran, which is a thing, I guess,
0: whatever that means. <laughs> they actually
1: declared that medicine shouldn't actually be pursued by clergy. Mm-hmm. They wanted the priests to like, no, s- stop. Like, it's fine if you do it, but you should you, you should really it's like, it's not you're not sinning by doing it, but you shouldn't do it that much mm. because by being a doctor. You can, you can charge, you know, you can charge money, mm-hmm. so they become rich, and because you're healing people, okay. that gives you a high status. Okay. Like, and the idea was that, like, you, a, a man of the cloth, like, a, in the clergy, you have no business being this rich, you mm-hmm. have no business having this high status, you Whoa. need to be humble, you need to, no, no, you need to be humble, focus <laughs> on pious pursuits. You you don't need to have this much wealth or status. Like your your priest should be devoted to God and not status or or gold.
0: Well, I mean, you know, they could they could have definitely healed for free, like the nuns did.
1: They could.
0: They, well, the money, should, you know, I should nobody, say that, nobody was throwing money at them. Nobody I, was forcing them to take the money.
1: I should also say that, like...
0: I see where you're coming from, but, like, there's but a that, simple solution to this.
1: But that's also part of what, the, the part of the Lateran Council, that, like, healing is okay. But you shouldn't make that much money out of it. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't pursue it that much. Because uh, this was a big, like, source of revenue for yeah, for clergy yeah. and for local priests. Because, like, being a doctor, you were paid way more than average. Like, the average priest. And priests were already one of the wealthiest classes in society. But this rule, this, like, rule that came out of Rome was instantly ignored <laughs> and completely unenforced. Thanks
0: for the, thanks for the input. Don't need it. Don't need
1: it. But, like, it was also unenforced. Like, the, the Pope basically said, that, like, you shouldn't. I'm not gonna stop you, though. <sighs> like, I'm not gonna do anything about it, but, like, you right. shouldn't. Uh, and the, because the idea was, like, making money from healing is still seen as a good deed. Like, you, you are sinning by by wanting money, but healing is, like, more, so you're always, like, a net net, net positive. Gain. Yeah, And over time, like, In history, this rule, like, this idea that, like, clergy shouldn't shouldn't do it became, like, completely outdated very quickly. And soon the church became, like, they realized, like, hey, there's a lot of money here. Mm. There's a lot of power here. And over time started to, like, promote the idea that priests should do this more, that they should pursue medicine, that they should... Like they should pursue it as a science more. Like they, this is some this is a good thing, and I, this, I this, this backfired. No, yes. I
0: love this because I, I love how the pope like tried yeah. to stop it but didn't actually try. But then yeah. was like following
1: popes were like eh, doesn't matter. He he,
0: he tried his best. We did our best, but it's there's to do. no there's there's nothing to do. There's no stopping it. Just like
1: clothed in like jewelry and gold, walking around Rome. Just like I get, I want to have people live humbly and poor. And poor. Uh, like, clinking constantly, but from like the jewelry. Like I, I wish
0: people would be humble. Like the robes are so like heavy because they're just just fit. Like yeah, there's so many diamonds just like hanging off. Girl, have you seen? I have seen. Have you no? Have you
1: seen the crown of the papacy? I have. I have. The, the three it's... layered crown, Girl. which is just. Caked in jewelry. People talk about the pope hat now being funny. The pope hat back in the day was amazing. Yeah, three crowns stacked on each other, just like jewels and emeralds all over. Oh my god. Yeah, fashion baby. <laughs> um, all right. So, however, this idea that hey, we should actually pursue this, the church starts funding this more. Like, uh, it becomes like part of the church, more institutionalized. This backfires eventually. But what 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 it means is that like over time, like a lot of universities start propping up because they want to educate more people in in medicine. They want to educate more people in like natural science. Many of these universities, almost all of them, spring out from monasteries. And cloisters and things of that nature. And a university back in these days isn't like, you, it's not like a fancy building that you go to. You just go to like a priest and you learn from him. Mm-hmm. He has like 10 students and mm-hmm. that's like the University of Going to- Klagenfurt or whatever. <laughs>
0: Going to university means learning how to read.
1: <laughs> yeah, Basically. <laughs>
0: um maybe learning latin i guess that was a... we learning
1: latin yeah. yeah that that was like the language yeah. to go to at the but time but you're
0: right like universities looked very different uh, back then
1: yeah and sure. and because they were all like they were they were they were definitely like almost 100% connected to the clergy yeah. during this time
0: to to a uh, priest blackbeard or whatever i don't
1: remember blackburn blackburn yeah Black, blackburn led every single university in europe at the time <laughs> <laughs> almost but over time, as they did this, universities start taking on a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Like, be- you can't run a university like you run a monastery. Like, there there are different practices that go in here. Uh, your students won't be effective if they have to spend, like, half of the day praying. They should spend more time studying. And suddenly, this becomes, like, more and more of a disconnect between, between the clergy, the institution of clergy, and the institution of universities. And by the time of the Renaissance, and like, in the 15th century, this split had reached so far that the church was like almost in opposition a little bit of of universities. Like there was, like they were both powerful institutions at this point, but universities had like their own right.
0: They're frenemies.
1: They're frenemies. And because they wanted to like actually explore the science of why people get sick, or like how to cure sickness, Mm. rather, medicine was starting to become more and more of a natural science. Mm -hmm. Elements of magic, that we're going to talk about soon, uh, that were more prevalent in the early ages were becoming more and more phased out uh, and much more, you know, yeah, natural, like, scientific, empirical. I feel like we could probably do a whole episode on, on the Renaissance on oh, re- yeah. Renaissance magic as well. And most of this, like, church dominance on medicine revolved, like, in during this entire period, right? I'm, I've done a very, like, quick glance of all of, <laughs> of clerical medical history, involved advanced magic when people were like properly really sick, or advanced sicknesses, sicknesses that didn't pop up every day, for example. Most medicine then involved people who already knew something about like the local things. Like if you wanted to heal like a common illness, you didn't necessarily need to go to a monk and pay a lot of money, mm-hmm. but you could go to a healer and like pay a little less money and get something that's like a bit more practical. And this type of medicine, uh, as you mentioned already, was almost primarily done by women, almost. Because like most of the clergy was dominated by men, almost exclusively. But most of, like, normal healing, more like uh, local healing, was seen by by women. And the reason for that is because healthcare, like local healthcare, like basic nursing, for example, was seen as as a domestic duty, as a motherly duty. It came as a natural part of... Of, Of like,
0: your role as a woman.
1: It was a very, like, gendered thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like,
0: Oh, do I have things to say about that? You have things (laughs) to say about that.
1: And a lot of this like knowledge was passed from mother to daughter, mm. and often between like elderly women in the town to like expectant mothers, for example. Mm. Like people mm. would like talk to like you would you would send off like your pregnant wife to talk to like an old lady that would help you because like as a as a as a male farmer like you're probably not super skilled in in in, in the womanly uh, humors, but the womanly humors? the womanly humors, the feminine, the feminine bile. <laughs>
0: Um, The two genders. (laughs) The feminine bile. Yeah,
1: masculine and feminine bile. The two genders. The
0: feminine bile bile is softer. It smells better. (laughs)
1: God. We can say that.
0: Yes, we can, and we will. Oh my God! Um, no, but um, you're right. Yeah. I mean, when it came to to the female body in particular, like men, even learned men, we're being a bit reductionist. Sort of male, really good, fi- yeah. even male physicians, they often employed women to help. Like the the female body was was very mysterious to medical professionals yeah. for a very long time. Um, but yeah, like you're right. So women, that that was kind of like part of.
1: Like a their, woman's duties, yeah.
0: It, it was part of their duty as a woman to know some things about healing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like in, like many kitchens, for example, where women would spend the majority of their time, unfortunately, because it's the Middle Ages and it's a very patriarchal society. You know, you wouldn't just have like spices and ingredients. You would also have like herbs and medical tools. And these things would um, like take up the same, si- like a, a similar sort of skill set. Same as we talked about barbers earlier, that like, you know, similar tools, similar skill set. Like that's, you know, cooking, cooking a potion and cooking dinner. <laughs> Similar skill set, you know, like, it, it, it just became part of a woman's do just that way.
0: So, as we just mentioned, women have always, in some way or another, served as healers mm. to their families, their communities. And their role was primarily to tend to, like, common ailments, you know, treat childhood disease, attend to women in labor, attend to their own husbands when they got sick. So they didn't really have a formal education. Instead, they, they based their medical care in, like, the more practical application of botanical compounds, traditional home remedies, purges, bloodletting, as well as religious and secular superstition. However, as we mentioned in the beginning, women also served as nurses in early hospitals. These early hospitals, which tended to to people who were traveling uh, for the Crusades, They were run by secular nursing groups, and they offered little more than, like, bed, board, bath, and prayer. Mm. Those were the the services that these hospitals would offer. So these hospitals were very different in terms of what kind of patients they received. Some focused on certain diseases and rejected those unable to care for themselves. Others included the wounded and mentally ill. However, a common element uh, in these early hospitals is that therapy focused on the soul which is something that we've seen before um in addition to the body and they they used of course um herbs baths, spurges and bloodletting by leech or phlebotomy
1: mm. in addition to that because you mentioned like like the hospitals i think it's uh, cuz like not not only did like these hospitals like do basic therapy and stuff like that but many of these early hospitals also just like housed people who didn't have anywhere else to go Yeah, like they yeah, they were exactly. just like Just a place to care for people who needed caring Mm -hmm. for, either Mm -hmm. as you say, like medically or psychologically, but also just like if you were poor and needed some food, you could go there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, and as you said, they're like they came up as a result of like the Crusades and a lot of travels to the Holy Land.
0: Yeah, but Mm their but their their purpose expanded for sure. Mm. And so the people who worked there, the women who worked there, you know, the 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 nurses, they were um, that was one way in which women practiced medicine by, be, by, by working as nurses in these like early hospitals slash um, slash mental health hospitals slash therapy centers yeah. slash slash as in <laughs> and in yeah, right exactly so the women who worked in these hospitals what's interesting is they were often people who used to be patients there who wanted to redirect their lives often those were widows unmarriageable women unmarriageable but by unmarriageable what i mean is like a lot of the women who ended up there were maybe women who were pregnant Mm. who had nowhere else to go Mm. uh, who were maybe sent away by their families (laughs) so that's that's kind of what i mean yeah um, as well as women whose social class excluded them from from being able to live in a convent.
1: Mm. So like outcasts. Yeah, well, a little bit, and even yeah, even of. outcasts from even outcasts from convents. Mm-hmm. So like that's even more of an outcast. Because a lot of times, like, people Well, I
0: suppose if you're unmarried and have kids, like, that could easily make you an outcast. Can't be a a nun then. But so, the preferred nurse candidate was strong, experienced with the disabled, and most importantly, devoid of the fresh and beauty of youth, which supposedly would have interfered with the responsibilities of a hospital setting. There, I... yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You're here to heal?
0: (laughs) You're here to heal. Don't Don't be sexy. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like the work was really hard And they were expected to serve with humility And without complaining They were expected to avoid any display of anger Haste or impatience Or uh, with those with those who had the frenzy Who now... Cr- <laughs> who now singeth, now cryeth
1: <laughs> Wait, Can you say that again?
0: Who, who now singeth, <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: now cryeth I'm sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) That hit for you really good
0: It did (laughs) Do you have the frenzy? Do you find yourself one moment sing it the other moment cry (laughs)
1: it Cry it I mean I definitely have the frenzy For sure (laughs) I can see where they're coming from though Because like (laughs) this idea that like Calmness and like stillness And like serenity Uh that had, like, a healing influence. I can see that. Like, you know, a lot of people believe I that, mean, like, a calm th- setting is, like, a good setting. But
0: I think, primarily, they were just allowed to put in the work, like, without complaining. Yeah. It's not so much about, like, creating a good environment. It's more about just, like, do the work. Nobody cares about how you feel. Oh, my God. You know, you, like, they were just expected to do all this hard work mm. with with piety, with, with no display mm. of, like, emotion.
1: I think, um, <clears throat> in addition, like, also, I, because many of these hospitals were run by various types of institutions, right? Some were just, like, set up by just people. Yeah.
0: What's This is what's cool about it, is is that, like, a lot of these hospitals were actually secular. Mm. They weren't connected to the church, although some were. Um, and apparently, working as a nurse in this kind of hospital was also, was also seen as, like, something that well-bred ladies should do. Just because, like, charity... And being like displays of charity was starting to like come into favor, mm. um, you know. So if you were a well-bred lady, like it was a good look to mm. like volunteer your time to a worthy cause, like
1: rich uh, kids do today as well. <laughs> <laughs> they go and they go and volunteer, yeah, in other countries in order to have selfies with. Um... With people. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I guess it's,
0: it's kind of a similar similar concept. Maybe. Maybe.
1: But also, like, a lot of these hospitals, I just want to mention that, like, many of these hospitals were run as you said, like, by, like, the clergy. But I also want to mention that some of these uh, hospitals were run by, like, military orders. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that was definitely, like, the case, like, closer to, like, the Holy Land where, where there were more war in the Crusades. Mm-hmm. And some of these orders, some of these, like, hospitals still exist today. But they're not—they're not like a hospital building that you can go to. But they're like an order of, of like health charities. Mm-hmm. The Knights Templar still exist, and they do like Christian health science and charity. I think that's super cool. The Knights Hospitalier also exists today.
0: And that's cool. <clears throat> that's cool.
1: I just—I just want to think. I just want to mention it because I think oh, like yeah. these hospitals. Today we associate a hospital with like a building that you go to and they're professional doctors. But in those days there were like they were, a community of yeah, people who yeah, wanted yeah. to do things. Who may have had a building but maybe, you know, they were more like a group.
0: Yeah. And I mean, especially considering the fact that they were, they, yeah, I mean, they did offer healthcare services, but they were primarily a place for people to like stay there and rest and wait for their wounds to heal. Mm. Or, you know, if somebody needed to recover from a breakdown, (laughs) they would stay there. Um, Okay. But so nurses, that was another way in which women could practice medicine. That was not, that was a bit, a bit more official, Mm. I want to say. Um, midwifery was another thing that women did so it was almost exclusively practiced by women partly because men at this time they viewed medicine as an intellectual exercise Mm -hmm. Um, and birthing had this element of manual labor that men kind of deemed below them Mm -hmm. a little bit
1: well that the the clerk especially especially the clerk yeah yeah we were good with reading books Maybe doing some herbs.
0: <clears throat> don't we, blood we, icky stuff. No, no, no. We don't. I have a
1: stick and I poke from a distance yeah. and tell other people what to do. <laughs> yeah, I know the science, but they—they're like lab technicians and not actual <laughs> doctors. Know what I think about it?
0: Um, yeah, exactly. So, so men didn't want to have anything to do with birthing, partly because of the intellectual thing, but obviously because it involved quite intimate contact with women's bodies, which could provoke gossip so midwifery was so valued that midwives were compensated by special privileges such as being tax exempt and also the privilege of not being allowed to leave their town <laughs> that yeah they were they were forcefully <laughs> kept in their town they were not allowed to leave that's that's how that's a privilege they were. well i'm joking obviously yeah. but yeah, like they were, they were very valuable. I'm
1: guessing that's because to make sure that like every village at least has one midwife.
0: Yeah, that's but that's also a- but also because healthcare workers were actually kind of few and far between mm. at that time.
1: Yeah, so that, like I'm guessing like midwives would be probably one of the most experienced healer in the town because right? mm. most villages wouldn't have like an apothecary or maybe even like a, 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 an educated priest like they, the midwife might be the best option they have I, I i'm said... also
0: thinking that like because birthing was um, like one of the main cause of death at the time it, w- it like it was very valuable to have somebody who knew how to actually handle this.
1: I should I do want I do want <clears throat> to mention though like tax free in the middle ages mm, big deal. that's a good privilege. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that like the lord can come by and collect taxes from everyone which can ruin like a person's life if you don't have enough for, for the yeah, winter. Yeah. Being a midwife, just being like oh just pass on through <laughs> I can keep all of my stuff. As much as I want. That must be amazing.
0: Mm. I think it was, um, it wasn't everywhere. I think there were only some places that did this. But
1: for the places that had it, what a luxury.
0: What a luxury. So, you know, and, and I'm talking about these like roles. And I'm also talking a bit about the kind of person that held these roles. So midwives generally came from lower class families and many were illiterate and that's partly because midwifery was not really seen as like a real serious medicine because it involved women's bodies so why would it be mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so there was no formal training and instead the craft was was learned from family or friends like like you mentioned before the the older women in a village might you know pass the craft on to mm-hmm. younger women and so and so it would continue mm.
1: it's interesting that it's not seen as an intellectual pursuit i'm guessing that like People don't want to write about it. Mm. That's that. That's really that's yeah. Really Especially since the men were like the dominant force in terms of reading and intellectual pursuit in this time, and because they don't want to like because they don't want to interact with women's bodies, maybe like that contributed to that. That's oh like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, we can't read. We can't read about exactly. it. Exactly. No, no man wants to wants to do it right. because no man wants to right. write about it. And
0: and women, you know, women in general and midwives, they were illiterate, so they did not write about it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you mentioned that because it was it was actually. Only in 1540 that the first midwifery manual was pu- published in England. It took a long time yeah. for them to actually get around to it.
1: And that's like in the Renaissance. Like, we're, that's past yeah. the entire Middle Ages, basically. Yeah. My God.
0: And and like you said, because, because of this, the, the standards were kind of lacking. So both poor and wealthy pregnant women received very poor care. And obviously, the illiteracy is part of it, but... In addition to this, there was also this Christian belief that pregnancy results from sin, and that it should be expiated with pain. Like, that did not encourage a better understanding of the pregnant patient. Mm.
1: Like, the existence why pregnancy exists as a thing is is because of, like, is because of sin in in the Christian belief. But the reason why, for example, like, as you say, like, childbirth should be painful is because... the the, original yeah the original sin of of eve in the garden like because of that sin uh, men men got the adam's apple and women have to suffer Suffer gruesomely through pain pain birth birth. yeah bad deal for women on that one
0: (laughs) for sure so lastly let's talk about women physicians because they existed there wasn't a lot of them but there were some so generally the fact is that women were excluded from university-based medical training. And they were, they were very, they were pretty limited to serving as nurses and midwives, as well as carrying out the practical application of the male doctor's prescription. However, there were some areas in medieval Europe where women were in fact allowed to become trained as physicians. An example being Sicily, in mainland Italy. So geographically the region is within like relatively easy access to much of the Mediterranean and by at least the 10th century Greek, Roman, Arabic, and Jewish science, including medicine, had reached it. So, a secular school of medicine was established in the city of Salerno, and what made it even more extraordinary was the presence of women as physicians and professors of Mm -hmm. medicine. The University of Bologna was another school which boasted the professor named Alessandro Giuliani, who performed pioneering studies of the functioning of the human circulatory system. However, I, I want to say that like this existed, but these schools and these women were definitely the exception to the rule. Mm. But I do want to mention some of the more notable women physicians and they include Trotta de Salerno and Jacqueline Felice de Almania. I just wanted to say their names. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of it's it's nice to have it said,
1: and it's also good to just have recognition because exactly. like when, when we talk about these things as like a male dominated thing, which it <laughs> definitely is, <laughs> like you 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 can sort of like sometimes get the idea that like women didn't have any part of like advanced science yeah. and medicine and stuff, which they definitely did, and it's important to recognize that.
0: Yeah, and what what sucks is that they, I mean there were there were a fair number of women who did great things for medicine, but unless they were exceptional. I mean they were just not written about yeah. so even the ones that i I mentioned they're not the only ones We just don't really know much about the other ones yeah. So let's talk about licensing because we mentioned it a little bit in the intro and it's kind of an important part of like medical medieval history so i wanna I wanna go into it i wanna i wanna really. Just, I don't, I don't. Um, so, so we mentioned before that prior to the 13th century, uh, when Europe consisted of scattered small fiefdoms, women were able to work as healers, um, nurses, midwives, and although their relationship with their communities was at times strained, they generally were able to receive compensation for their efforts as well as the respect of their communities. However, as Europe transitioned from small fiefdoms to larger centralized ruling units and universities and professional schools started popping up, women started being excluded from the medical profession. And those who persisted faced punishment from both secular and clerical authorities and were met with heavy fines, flagellation, excommunication, and exile. And we're slowly going to start talking about, like, what the relationship was like and how how that all went down. But let's, let's talk about licensing first. So the primary forms of education for licensing were medical texts, which were purchased independently, as well as university schooling. So the texts were primarily in Latin, which women were not taught. And they were also forbidden from attending most universities. So they didn't have access to the books. They didn't have access to readings. And they didn't even, they weren't even allowed to sit in on lectures. And therefore we have this like self-fulfilling spiral when it comes to like the public perception of female healers, because they were not allowed to become educated. um, They were not allowed to like become licensed. Then the public started thinking that they must have not been intelligent enough to become educated, and so they must be incapable of practicing as doctors. And what's interesting is that while the introduction of medical licensing probably did contribute to the creation of a more standardized practice, it also definitely aimed to draw a separation between learned physicians Mm -hmm. and lay healers, which were most often women. Mm. And in doing that, it maintained the social and economic gap between licensed physicians, which... Like, let's, let's be honest, like, they already belonged to this wealthy upper class and healers, which were typically less wealthy, less powerful.
1: More laborers, more working <laughs> more, class. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, this, and this probably, like, helped benefit the power of the church again, you know? Yeah, Where, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, only, only licensed people. Exactly. We, uh, we rich people, we can, lic- we, we just give ourselves a license, we're good. Everyone yeah, so,
0: so it's, it's definitely not a mistake mm. that, that this happened. Yeah. Um, it's a way to,
1: like, concentrate and solidify power over an institution.
0: Yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I can also see why, you know, introducing the licensing, introducing the standardized practice would benefit practice as a whole. But I, I just think we would be doing history a disservice if we didn't go into, like, <laughs> yeah. the other reasons why this happened.
1: Yeah. Because, um, like, you know, standardizing is one thing. Licensing mm-hmm. is one thing. But well, when you do that, and also like systematically exclude, like exclude
0: everyone from, who hmm.
1: doesn't already belong to like the higher yeah. of the class, then yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, education was a very long and expensive process, and. There were very few people who could afford it. And, I mean, what's interesting is that this also caused there to be very few physicians in the Middle Ages. And only the rich could afford the services of physicians anyway. So healers were actually very valuable to the lower classes. Despite this, licensed physicians still viewed healers as competition. So not only were they not allowing these these women to, to get licensed, but they also... Directly and routinely tried to sabotage their own work.
1: So there, so there's like the split, right? From the early middle ages and more the later ones, because like in the early, you know, I mentioned that like they are more tolerant, like they would incorporate Mm -hmm. more local traditions, and like they would like take in more local healing practices. And then over time, like as it became more of an institution, Mm -hmm. as it became something powerful. Suddenly, they weren't allowed to do it again. Yeah, it's a top-down, like, take away everything else.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, they definitely existed as, I don't know if a symbiosis, but, you know, the church allowed healers to do their own thing, and Mm. then, like, monks and nuns would also practice medicine, and it was, it kind of worked. They worked together, they were tolerant of each other and you know like after the 13th century this was definitely not the case anymore mm. and here's where we get to witch burnings <laughs> oh
1: god witches as i mentioned like the natural magic from before right mm-hmm. like there there has been like okay magic and there's been bad magic but that's not too much of an issue in pagan traditions that are fine now it's the church's way or it's the highway mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. so let's talk about witches, witches. and i <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this. Yeah, if I can you, tell. You have no idea. I have like... Four- no, I,
1: I do have an idea. Because <laughs> when we wrote the script for this episode, this segment was supposed to be a collaborative segment. I kind of And then you, you decided that like, actually, this is about witches. I want to talk so much about witches. <laughs> and I'm going to let you because it's fun.
0: It's... oh the, the whole you know the whole thing about why women were branded as witches mm-hmm. and wh- like I, I just think it's so it's so fascinating and so interesting mm-hmm. um and I you know I really hope that you the listener find as much joy in listening to me talk as I did in doing research for this section I love it <laughs>
1: And I hope that you, I hope that you, my my co-host, will be patient with me when I come in with the church's perspective as to why magic is evil, and a bad thing.
0: Get out of my house. Get out. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hello,
1: it's the Inquisition.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, let's talk about witches. So, witches, witches in medieval society. Let's let's first talk about like what it meant to be a witch Mm -hmm. who was a witch how did how did society view witch? how did the church view witches a little bit like about the myths and and you know the stories surrounded Mm -hmm. the lore the the, the discourse at the time Uh let's get into it so they were first of all they were divided by medieval society into two broad categories there were maleficent witches Mm -hmm. who practiced sorcery and there were beneficent witches and the beneficent witches were also known as diviners healers cunning folk white witches wise women like there were there were a few different names mm. and they performed important functions such as finding lost objects discovering the identity of thieves healing through folk medicine and enchantments, performing protective and love spells, and sometimes midwifery. While they were typically divided into the separate categories of good versus bad witches, and despite the important role these healers played in medieval society, there was also an area of ambiguity between helpful and harmful witchcraft, such as, for example, when love magic designed to help one party harm another, or when weather spirits conjured to avoid one would strike another one instead. So, therefore, despite the unquestionable value that they brought to their communities, their role was really a very fragile one, uh, largely due to fear of their power and the influence of the church.
1: Like, a lot of these witches... Because, like, when we talk about witches, like, people talk about, like, witches in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But like, these, these, like, practitioners of, like, spirituality and magic, they, they had existed for, for a long, long time. Like, mm-hmm. way before, like, Christianity became mainstream in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um... And I think that's important to mention, right because like, as you mentioned, like what is even defined as what is witchcraft, you know, like how how do you define how do you split the line between someone who like is a bit spiritual and someone who is like performing magic and sorcery?
0: I mean, mm-hmm. and honestly, like there were so many myths that circulated mm. around just like women practicing medicine, like mm. they thought that midwives were witches, yeah you know, In- so it it was it was a very like very blurry line, and people were accused of being witches also for. Just because somebody didn't like them, yeah, um, and we're gonna get into we're that get as into well. That.
1: But um, but many of these like traditions and practices that like quote witches would do had had in many times in Europe just been like. Common like folk magic and folklore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years before Christianity came in and said like, hey, this thing that you're doing that's a bit like niche, it's actually super evil and desecrated, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna burn it out. But, like, so it's not something that like witches introduce or anything. Like this is old learned practice that like it comes from like a long line of tradition. So I just think that that's important to mention because the witchcraft obviously varies so much from area to area, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's it's not just like it's kind of unfair to categorize it all as this one category of magic and witchcraft because they are, you know, like nature healers from various different schools of of paganist thought. You know, I just want the listener to know that like these witches, you know, they used to be all over Europe for a long time. Until the church.
0: Sure, and... Again, I we, you know, we've said it before But maybe it's worth saying again That we are simplifying things a little yeah. bit Just because we're covering so much Spatially and also in, like, in terms of time um, So some things We're, we're going to simplify a bit But it's, it's good you mention it But so I was, I was saying that They had a very fragile role In the community and the church Kind of was the cause of that Partly they, um, In the eyes of the church Witches were viewed as members Of a devil worshiping cult whose purpose was to destroy Christianity Mm. so there were lots of beliefs and rumors surrounding witches that circulated widely and they were like over time integrated in the shared conscious such as that witches had sealed their allegiance to the devil through an act of sexual intercourse with him or one of his demons and that they flew through the night to participate in orgiastic and blasphemous rituals called Sabbaths I I know (laughs) Just girls. Just girls, girls rule. Girls, I know. I girls know. night. I know, um, but in all seriousness, the reality, of course, is that the vast majority of those that were executed for witchcraft were actually poor, elderly women who were just trying to survive a harsh society the best that they could.
1: Yeah. And you know, practice the type of spirituality that the church saw as like a threat.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't even like it wasn't even about spirituality it may just be that they used some some superstitions to their favor they Mm. used some herbs to their favor that was all enough so let's talk about why women were branded as witches so like i mentioned before a big reason is actually the introduction of medical licensing and the licensed physicians fear of competition the second is the association of illness with Sin mm-hmm. a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, Jesus is the healer. Jesus stands yeah. for health. Yeah. Christian good. Exactly. Unhealth he- that's bad.
0: Yes. And um and also healing being a religious mm-hmm. thing that you have to do in the context of the church. So women healers who operated outside the church were therefore a threat to the church's control over their parishioners. And they had to be eliminated. So this view of women healers as a threat to the deeply religious Christian society was very firmly rooted in the medieval consciousness since the early Middle Ages. And it was the main reason women were persecuted as witches even before medical licensing became mm. required by law.
1: It became more and more practiced. Um, I did some research about like just magic, the sense of magic mm-hmm, used. Mm-hmm. The, like It was like magic had always been seen as like conceptually a bad thing, always like a dangerous thing that like priests didn't like like you know the more later and later we go in the into the middle ages the more powerful the church becomes and the more pervasive the church becomes in its like desire for control
0: yeah and i mean what's most interesting about it is that a lot of the things that were done for healing in monasteries and things that like women did like women healers like there was a lot of overlap it's just that women healers or witches they they were not as explicitly religious about it so an example of that would be the science of botany like you mentioned a lot of monasteries had herb gardens and that was totally Okay. It was so, it was perfectly acceptable, and it was very common in monasteries as long as it helped give glory to God. By looking at the wonder of his creation and using it to heal the body. On the other hand, if the same botany was used by women healers just to cure the body, obviously that was seen differently by the church mm. and may have and that may have led to the women being target for prosecution.
1: Mm. I'm thinking also because because a lot of you know a lot of the ideology in medicine was to combine piety with good philosophy. I'm I'm thinking maybe a lot of them would see this type of like botany, for example, as a sort of misuse of God's mm-hmm. creation but like mm-hmm. you are be- because you're not like worshipping God using this medicine you are like bastardizing yeah. the creation of God and like therefore and it's, like, like
0: using like, it for your own profit
1: yeah like maybe maybe that's why yeah it's, it, they, I could they see, see, see it as well. using it for their own profit though is incredibly funny considering what the church was doing with it I know but, like, but it's, it's fine when we do it it's,
0: yeah it's fine when you use it to um, to bring glory to God's name it's mm-hmm. not fine if you use it because you're literally starving and you're just trying to survive mm-hmm. How dare one, you? How dare you try to survive? Anyway. Um another thing is that Christianity had certain anxieties about childbirth, which led to midwives being frequently suspected for witchery, like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a certain aura of mystery and awe surrounding birth especially in those times when people didn't really know a lot about the female body. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of superstitions connected with certain parts of childbirth, such as the placenta, the umbilical cord, and the cowl, which is the piece of amniotic membrane that usually covers the infant's head at birth. This led to numerous regulations being published, which forbade midwives to keep any of these elements, lest, lest they use them for witchcraft. <laughs>
1: Oh my God! They I mean, so they were not
0: allowed to keep or bury them. Like that, that was that don't and um, it's
1: too powerful. Yeah. No one really knows how childbirth works. Says Pope Pius the Eighteenth, mm-hmm. and just like no, don't don't go in there. Don't keep anything. Don't grind it. Put it, it up in
0: a bucket. bucket.
1: And now people eat placentas today.
0: Yeah, but so the church knew that many midwives used charms, spells, and incantations to help women in labor, and in their eyes, that was that 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 counted as crafts and imaginations invented by the devil in fact the midwives oath in 1567 includes a part where they have to pledge to not use any kind of sorcery or incantation in the time of the travail of any woman and that they will not destroy the child born of any woman
1: destroy the child born
0: (laughs) i know but also destroy the child (laughs) but also i love how they just kind of have to promise to not do it like i i promise. I won't do it. But if you, promise, if you a, if which...
1: you pledge an oath to God, the idea is that like if you break that oath, you are you you're screwed.
0: <laughs> well, they I... don't they don't pledge to. It doesn't say anywhere. It doesn't say anywhere that they pledge an oath to God. I think they just they just say have to say promise. the promise. Yeah, they just have well, the promise. you know,
1: maybe it's better than nothing. I guess.
0: I guess so. Um, but, but so, but so, obviously there were, th- there were these like intense anxieties among demonologists, bishops, and like even secular officials mm. had a bit of a problem with midwives.
1: What are they doing in there? <laughs> All the women on there. What are they doing <laughs> in there? They're scheming. What
0: are they, ta- what are they talking about? What are Giggling? They Giggling in there.
1: Mm, I not like that.
0: Um. But so, so they had anxieties about these like potential. Satanic activities of Potential midwives. satanic.
1: They, they, there is a lot of screaming in there. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> yeah, but so, but so, it's not surprising that they were often the target of witchcraft mm. accusations.
1: I actually read about a spell that like a lot of midwives would use mm-hmm. before before this, uh, before like magic as a concept became like. To taboo, mm-hmm. and it was actually to like open a lot of doors mm-hmm. around the house, mm-hmm. uh, like open lockers, or open uh, shelves, and things of that nature, uh, to symbolize the opening of the womb. Oh, that's cool, uh, and things of that nature. And I... uh, doing a little spell. And there was there was uh, there was one practice because this was written about by like some priest in Germany somewhere who mentioned that like in the in the most like acute of cases because a priest would like be in the room to make sure that no funny demonic business was really? happening on. Yeah, if all else fails, the midwife could whisper spells into the ear of the of the uh, of the birther of the mother Um, uh, and this this was not that was not okay Mm. (laughs) opening doors and like chanting that's that's fine but don't don't whisper I can't hear that (laughs) I don't like that
0: I I just remembered that I remember I I've I've seen in a movie they did this thing where they would put a knife or scissors under the bed uh symbolizing like that that was supposed to cut the pain in two
1: Oh, that's yeah. interesting. A
0: lot, a lot of like cool, creative. Uh... Yeah,
1: and like we mentioned earlier, it's more like it's something that you can like. It's something that you can see. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that would be very comforting for 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 uh, for yeah. a pregnant uh, I f- woman. The, you know, the power
0: like... of suggestion is it can yeah. can, can do a lot.
1: And you don't have epidurals back then. Mm-hmm. Like seeing seeing an elderly woman like open a bunch of I, doors and I being like, "This you... will help." I promise.
0: <laughs> I will show you a knife.
1: <laughs> I will put Take it, it or under or the bed.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I will whisper into your ear. The priest won't like it, but it's fine. <laughs>
0: But so that's midwives. And they were, like I said, like they were often the target of accusations. But what's interesting is that these accusations came from members of the clergy and from officials, but they were not as prominent in peasant depositions. Um, as they were in like official documents and learned treaties. Mm-hmm. So the women most likely to be the target of accusations from their communities were elderly poor women, especially those with uncanny or peculiar appearance or behavior.
1: Oh, they look a little witchy.
0: <laughs> yeah they look they look a little they gotta look for it. Um, or those who may have developed a reputation for ill wishing. So in there's some there's some interesting like backstory to this or like some some potential explanations to why that was so elderly impoverished women were often targeted because they were in need so while christianity required tolerance and support um, for all members of the group, like put simply people just didn't want to help a lot of the times And so they responded to the presence of this person's need with hostility rejection and then feelings of guilt which they then projected onto the needy woman as accusations and persecution as witches Interesting. I know it's very it really interesting. really goes against and... like the
1: Christian idea of, of like charity and yeah,
0: tolerance. Yeah. yeah But they don't want to help so then they're like well you know, this woman is actually an agent of the devil. So she does, you know, like, it's, it's mm. this very, like, uh, yeah, like, projection.
1: I think this is extremely interesting, because in the early yeah. Middle Ages, the the idea of supporting your local healer was something, was something that was based on, like, the Christian charity. Like, you were supposed to help people, you were supposed to be tolerant. And as the power of the church increases, it's interesting to see, like, how much of that, like, Christian charity is more and more directed into just supporting the church like but, as an institution but
0: here's the thing like these women the because these were just like elderly poor women yeah. like maybe they weren't even healers at all maybe they were just like just women who were maybe widows or maybe their husbands died they didn't have any family mm. And they were just in need for support. Yeah. They weren't even doing anything wrong, mm. other than being poor.
1: <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like instead of like instead of helping them, mm-hmm. people were like, "Well, I'm all, I'm already helping the church, yeah, and that's yeah. all the Christian charity I need." Yeah, yeah. And then anything that doesn't fall into that yeah. narrow worldview is like which, <laughs> which.
0: How about we kill you so you don't need anything anymore? Huh?
1: That's fine, huh? Mm. Oh, you you need something? How about like a greedy like <laughs> ass? <laughs> ass? You're greedy. Are you a greedy ass. Yeah, yes. you're so greedy um anyway (laughs) witch 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 witch.
0: (laughs) but so but so yeah so they were they were hostile they rejected the women and then they called them a witch just to get away with not helping them on the other hand on the other hand these socially and economically marginalized elderly women they sometimes use the belief in their power for protection of themselves against those in the community who might otherwise try to take advantage of them or refuse to give them aid or goods. So for example, in one confession of an accused woman by the name of Els von Merschberg, she admitted that she caused the hailstorm she was being accused of after cursing a homeless man who had tried to rape her. So in this way, they also like promoted these beliefs by using the fact that people thought that they had powers they they used it to I don't like, want to protect say, themselves not, yeah like I don't want to say intimidate the villagers but to protect themselves yeah a bit. I like that yeah but it also kind of led to them being persecuted later yeah. so you know kind of like short short term solution sure but also long term you're you're gonna, you're, yeah, you're gonna
1: get to the stake eventually
0: you're gonna get in trouble for that
1: I like the idea though that like because like if you're accused of being a witch it's basically nothing you can do mm-hmm. like if if you're if you're at the point where like well they're gonna get me eventually Mm-hmm. may as well rock out before the end like I, c- I can see where some of them are coming from you probably shouldn't because that you're incriminating yourself but i can i can see it i can i could be like if i got accused of being a witch it's like oh cool i'm gonna i'm probably gonna be burnt at the stake in like a month or two i'm gonna
0: watch your back
1: i'm gonna be uh the most powerful witch you ever saw yeah <laughs> give me your ale or i'll or I curse your land forever Tony, Tony.
0: sure i mean i you know i don't wanna i think either way kind of sucked oh yeah for sure so lastly can we talk about how the male perception of women as mysterious and fascinating coupled with the deep misogyny of the medieval era played the role in the witch hunts i mean it, it just i'm sorry but it has to be said women's biological differentness their seemingly mysterious powers of menstruation and reproduction Reinforcement of their role of tending to the sick, as well as their oversight of the birth and the death processes, led to men almost fearing women while simultaneously operating in a system that was dependent on their oppression. So any deviation in appearance, behavior, or social status from the expected order was seen as a threat to social stability, which was, again, very very dependent on female passivity and obedience. So the stereotype of the witch was said by males to discourage behavior too deviant from the ideal, reflected hostility toward women, which exhibited characteristics appropriated to men by women, such as independence, aggression, and knowledge.
1: So obviously the main excuse to go after witches is the idea that like they're practicing magic bad magic specifically like Mm -hmm. sorcery like you mentioned but i want to talk about like the view of magic more generally in the middle ages and like how the the view of magic changed within the church like why the church became a bit more authoritarian and decided to sort of on one hand sort of cause witch trials or like get into witch trials like into the idea of of witch huntings basically Mm -hmm. uh because magic in the middle ages wasn't seen as like an uncommon thing like the idea of magic was seen as like a part of the world it wasn't common but it it happened like it was seen as like the way we see like gravity today like we know gravity mm-hmm. <laughs> of course magic exists but not all magic was seen as as bad especially in the early middle ages so for example there have been writings about like priests talking about the local villagers covering their houses in amulets mm-hmm. and, like tiny scribbles on, on cloth, for example, over their houses. And a lot of priests write about this not as a problem with them using amulets as an issue, but the problem of them using fake amulets <laughs> or superstitious amulets and you can, not you can real wear, ones. Yeah,
0: you can wear a cross around your neck. Yeah, exactly. But you can't wear a, a bat's mummified foot. Like,
1: you're being superstitious. You're, this is. You're, what are you doing? <laughs> this is crazy. The cross is good. Bless the cross. Maybe some cheaps blood perhaps is good. Like yeah, but I have a newt. You're, you're out there. But an example, for example, of good magic that a lot of priests would practice was partly some of the like pagan practices that I mentioned earlier in the episode where they would like adopt like local traditions and like pagan traditions into Christian beliefs and just add like a prayer to a saint or something. There was one. Another example of good magic would, would be, for example, to bless various poultices and potions Blessing seeds before you planted them, for example, blessing their fields, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Like mm-hmm. blessings in general were seen mm-hmm. as like, you are using magic, but you're using God as a sort of like a blessing. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of the like medical applications of magic wasn't actually seen as super unacceptable. Like sometimes they were seen as like, oh, you're you're dancing a little close to the devil here. But it wasn't until 1846 when magic was deemed evil in the Malleus Maleficarum, which is a an actual book that someone wrote. It's not just a fantasy thing, by the way, that you're seeing on you know, like Sabrina. Because it was a treatise on why witchcraft is bad and uh, numerous other things. But like why magic is a bad thing. And at the time it was written, there was actually a lot of people within the church that was like, hey, um, this is super sexist <laughs> and it's like really bad. And you're arguing for like really, really immoral things. Mm. Like you're ar- arguing for basically killing witches for doing things that like a lot of priests are already kinda of doing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of kingdoms and a lot of like bishops locally who would agree with it, they saw it as like, ah, this is a good justification to crack down on heresy, so to say. Because if you could do this, not only could you like more solidify the church control over medicine, but you could also solidify the church control over basically anything that women were doing. You could appropriate like the belongings of witches, you could appropriate the the wealth that some witches had, for example, if they were if they had any wealth.
0: This um, reminds me a bit of um, like the 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 blaming of the plague on the Jews, mm-hmm. where you know if you find a scapegoat, you get to keep their stuff. You
1: get to keep their stuff. So there's not so there's also like an economic yeah. uh, incentive here. where you can uh, not only can you force. You can, you can take by force, like, the wealth and property and things of people who have been accused of witches, but you're also establishing a social order way more uh, solidly than before. Like, women have their place in society, and if they dare to get out of that space, they can be tried as witches. Uh, because before this, there, you know, there are some options, like, you know, at least I can go and be a witch in the forest. I can be, <laughs> yeah, I can be a healer somewhere, but now it's like, no, 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 no. You serve, like, male interests, you serve the interests of the church. But that also begs the question a little bit, like, what is, what even is magic? I've already mentioned sort of, like, negative magic, demonic magic, and, like, uh, good magic, which comes from God, but there were also, like, uh, natural magic. Many people believed during this time that, like, magic could come from just things in nature that didn't require the workings of, of either God nor demons to work. And this was sometimes used as a way to justify why certain herbs would work, and some wouldn't, for example. Like, why, why does this herb work for this wound, and some other herbs don't? Like, it's probably because that herb is a bit magical, maybe. Mm-hmm. The herb gardens, for example, that I mentioned before, God isn't working through the herb garden. Like the herbs themselves are producing that sort of like magical energy. And that was seen as perfectly fine. Over time though, as like medical science becomes more institutionalized, many of the sort of natural magics start being replaced by natural explanations. And, and the, the, the good magic of priest and god is no longer considered magic at all. It is simply seen as like piety, which is what they start to differentiate like piety with magic. And suddenly all magic is like slowly and slowly becoming more and more stigmatized. And as magic becomes more and more stigmatized, it becomes more connected with, like, demons and Satan, which further justifies, like, persecution of witches and witchcraft. But I do also want to mention, I want to mention a a bit more magic that I discovered while reading this, Mm -hmm. because I I found funny magic. Some priests, on occasion, would, like, write runes on their churches, just in case they would work. (laughs) Another uh, thing that I found that I thought was funny was that the power of precious stones had various effects.
0: Once again, the precious stones make a, make a comeback. We love
1: precious we stones. We love talking
0: about precious stones sapphire. on this podcast.
1: <laughs> Sapphires, for example, were meant to have a calming effect. Mm-hmm. Um, this was also seen as a, as a natural magic for a long time, where you didn't actually need to do anything with the sapphire, but you could have it in the room being visible, and it would have a calming vibe, a calming hmm. energy. So it's if you're going to a person with frenzy, you could put a sapphire in the room and then calm down.
0: And then maybe they don't cry if and then sing it. Just to cry some yeah. things, Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny because like people still use crystals. Yeah. You know, and sort of attribute different properties to different crystals. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, it's, it's called... not it's not
1: actually a new age thing as people yeah. do feel like it's an old age thing.
0: It's really interesting to see patterns. Um... <laughs> so interesting to but like it is interesting for me to see I don't know it just I just felt like that was a stupid thing to say but it is interesting for me like in doing this podcast like start, like seeing patterns and like the things that people do like throughout history and up until now like maybe there's a different name and it takes a different form but like we kind of like keep doing the same mm-hmm. things
1: you know this argument of, like magic has never really gone away it's just taking new forms and shapes
0: magic is weird to say
1: So, that's a bit of a history on, on magical healing in the early Middle Ages. What a specific, narrow topic. I feel like we could do another episode on, like, early medieval history. Mm-hmm. But, like, the actual medicine that they did during the time. You know, like, what herbs, what <laughs> surgeries did they do? Because I found a whole sure. bit of surgeries and that, like, it's not even closely connected to magic. Yeah,
0: we can do that. I, I, I really enjoy talking about, like, magic and witches. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love that it's, this episode had this, like, strong female element. Yeah. But we can definitely talk about, like, um, practiced medicine by, mm. like, the so, learned men.
1: <laughs> sometimes. Some, some, sometimes. In
0: any case, this was LeechFest.
1: This is LeechFest.
0: My name is Raluca Muntano. I'm Mia Mulder. And uh, we certainly hope that you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> if you want to get more LeechFest content, you can find us on Twitter at LeechFestPod. <laughs> I get it wrong every time. I think I got it right this time. You um, got it right this time. If you want to support us, that would be really cool. Uh, we're on Patreon, First Podcast. I
1: think so. I'm if you, pretty you, sure. You should Google us. Yeah. We, you can find it.
0: But if you can't, that's okay, too. And we hope mm. that you enjoy our episodes anyway.
1: Yeah, the best support anyone can give is listening and sharing. We don't really promote the podcast, so if you want to share it to your friends, uh, word of mouth is always the best advertising and... Uh, Uh, We we like it if you show it to your friends Your mom, your grandma Your great grandma, who's probably a witch Uh, And uh, yeah, show a witch this episode (laughs) Maybe they'll like it